a lot of couples really struggle to reveal those microscopic truths around moments of disagreement or misunderstanding. And those little tiny microscopic moments, they get bigger and bigger and they grow into major conflicts over time. So just that ability to reveal both conflict, but also, hey, this is what's really happening for me. This is what I'm looking forward to. This is what I'm feeling with my work right now or, or caring for the kids, whatever that might be. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Hey, y'all, That Sex Chick podcast listeners. Today, you have the pleasure, nay, the privilege of yet another podcast takeover from your boy, Alexa's husband, Jordan Maurice Bowditch, um, also known as Mr. Husband Man. And today I will be interviewing a writer and influencer by the name of Nate Klemp. Nate, what's up, brother? Not too much. It's really good to be here, Jordan. Stoked to have you, my man. Uh, I have a little bio I'm going to read here. So we'll start there and then flow from there. Uh, Nate is a founding partner at Mindful Magazine and co-author of the newly released The 8080 Marriage, A New Model for a Happier, stronger marriage. He's also the co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Start Here, Master the Lifelong Habit of Well-Being. Nate holds a BA and MA in philosophy from Stanford University and a PhD from Princeton University. Holy shit ski, bro. That's no joke. Stanford and Princeton. <laughs> okay, come on. <laughs> yeah, we'll just come out the gate swinging here. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate yeah, that. That's impressive, man. Well, um, I would love to start with a little bit about you, just, you know, as it's relevant to this conversation, your life's work and whatever you care to share for our listeners to provide a little context before we dig into some of the content. Yeah, well, there was quite a journey to becoming a author. I write mostly about mindfulness and now marriage. And it really started with philosophy. I became really interested in philosophy as an undergraduate when I was in college. I thought, if I just read these amazing texts, I'm going to learn how to live the good life and learn how to answer all these big questions. And I got to the end of about 10 years of intense philosophical training when I was just about to get my PhD. And I realized my life was a total mess. I looked around at my colleagues. Everybody's life was a total mess. <laughs> and I thought to myself, maybe this isn't the path that I was looking for. And that turned out to be a really pivotal moment because that's the moment that I started exploring what I like to call inner technologies of the mind. So things like meditation and yoga, and, and that really became a turning point for me in my life. At about the same time, my wife and I had just gotten married I was going through total burnout and anxiety and depression. And on paper, we were like this fairy tale marriage. You know, we met in high school. We were 17 in chemistry class. And then we broke up for seven years and then we got back together. Oh, that's cool. I love that. And so it was like this total like Instagram shareable story. <laughs> and yet a year or two into marriage, here we are navigating living together. I'm a total wreck emotionally. And, you know, we were really close to getting divorced. Mm -hmm. And, and so that was just like a really interesting paradox for me. You know, how is it that 
I'm with this person who really is the love of my life, but we just can't seem to make it work. And, and so that was now uh, 15 years ago, but it really set up this project around relationships in the modern age. I think a lot of people can resonate with what you just shared. I know I certainly can in my own way. It's kind of one of those, what's most personal is most universal. It's like, why yeah. can't this work? Why isn't this working? Like every, the, the boxes are all checked. And it sounds mm-hmm. like a bit of the classic, we end up teaching what we most want slash need to learn. Um, that's really cool that yeah. you've dedicated a lot of your life to this. Uh, so first question to dig into some of this stuff, what sure. is an 80-80 relationship? Yeah. Well, the construct 80-80 is something that we came up with as in some ways a response to what we think of as the center of gravity for most modern relationships, which is this idea of 50-50. And, and the idea is really seductive, I think, because most people in our generation, we want to be in love with our partner, obviously, but we also want to be equals. And yeah. The default solution to that is essentially to make everything perfectly 50-50 fair. This is the solution that we pursued for many years. Uh, We ended up interviewing about 100 people for this project around their relationships. And we found that most couples in some way are striving for this thing called fairness. And that's a disaster for all sorts of reasons that we can talk about. But the basic shift that we realized could be quite powerful for many couples and certainly been powerful for us is to shift the mindset from this idea of like, I'm just going to do my 50% fair share. And then I'm going to resent you if I feel (laughs) like I'm doing anything more than that. A shift from that mindset to a mindset where I'm striving to do more than my fair share we call it 80%. We know the math doesn't work out and we know that it's not even possible, but the basic idea is to sort of uproot that pattern of trying to make everything fair and, and leading to all sorts of conflict and resentment and drama. Such a great way to spin that. And I imagine this is playing off of the 80, 20 rule on some level, right? Mm. And that's how I see it. Like I interpret it. It's okay, 80%. If I'm doing 80% of what's most important, that means I'm giving a pretty damn good effort. And if we're both doing that, then the 20% just kind of takes care of itself slash it's somewhat insignificant, relatively speaking. Yeah, it's a play on that, but it's also an intentional effort to to carve out space for each partner as an individual. Got it. So one of the things we're often asked about is like, okay, you want to go over 50-50? Well, why not 100-100? You know, give everything you have to your marriage and, you know, 100% generosity. And I actually think that's quite problematic as well. It's the other side of the coin in a sense. Yeah. Like like you can, you can underdo generosity, which I think most people do, Uh but you can also overdo it. And we talk to people like that who would say things like, yeah, like I basically gave up everything, my life's purpose all my individuality for this relationship. And I just felt like I was on this bus that was headed God knows where. So, so that, you know, there's a danger on that side as well. Yeah. Cool. So I'm curious in in your personal life, as you started to explore some of this stuff and understand it, what were some reasonably specific things that came up and then how did you address it slash, you know, flip the script on it with this methodology and this approach? 
Yeah. In our particular case, we were one of those relationships where we got married fairly young. We were 26 years old and we had this classic under contributor over contributor dynamic that you see in a lot of relationships that's often gendered. So, you know, stereotypically and statistically speaking, you often have the female partner doing more, the male partner doing less. And that was certainly true for us. Like I was living in graduate student housing when we got married. My wife was a consultant who had a job and a 401k and knew how to reconcile her finances each month. So that became the sort of default pattern of our lives. And I would say a lot of the work that we have been doing over the last 15 years or so related to this project, but also in our own personal life is how do you start there and then shift to a place where not only are you equals, but you're cultivating some really deep connection and thinking more consciously about the structures in your life. So a lot of things had to shift. I'll just give you one example roles was a big thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we, like many couples fell into this pattern where Kaylee, my wife basically did everything because that's what her mom did. And that's Mm -hmm. what her grandparents did, you know, her grandma. And, and so there was this kind of like gender distribution of labor. And it was fascinating because we were able to overturn that in about 20 minutes. We literally just wrote out what we were doing around the house. Once we had a kid and wrote out an alternative structure. And it, it, it was totally transformative. And yet it took us so long to get to a point where we could even have that conversation mm-hmm. and, and really bring some intentionality and some consciousness to something as simple as like, who's taking out the trash? Yeah, that's so good. And what it reminds me of is this idea that transformation can happen in an instant. Doesn't mean it always does. Yeah. And there's, there's so many things that lead up to that moment where the transformation happens. But I love how you just described that. Simply being like, okay, we're going to do this. Take 20 minutes to write this out and just talk about and look at the thing and be intentional with it. Be mindful, be compassionate, know that some shit's going to come up, but we're going to go there. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, we just made a massive change for the better in our relationship. That's you know, the dividends, the ROI is so strong on that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And one of the things I started to realize as I researched all the various books on relationships and we interviewed people on relationships is that like you can get lost in all these systems and, you know, even our book, The 8080 Marriage, it's a model for marriage and it's got Uh all sorts of tactics and, and tools. But really, I think like it all boils down to are you unconscious in your relationship or are you trying to bring more intentionality and consciousness? So that unconscious conscious distinction is in some ways the whole game, right? Like, and that's where I think you're right. Those moments of big transformation often happen. The moment we sort of take a step back and become aware of what's happening and make a shift to something that's more intentional, more conscious, instead of just like purely accidental. Yep. I mean, you're talking to the conscious bro, my friend. I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, as you know, even people like us who really try to bring consciousness into every part of our life, we're, we're like mostly running on autopilot. Absolutely. Even those of us who are trying to break out of that trance. Yep. It's all relative. It's an infinite, perpetual, omnipresent game of like how more conscious and aware can I be of my patterns, of my 
reactivity and all those kinds of things. Yeah. It's, you never reach it, you know, unless you're Buddha or Jesus Christ themselves. <laughs> um, and even still, and who wants to be more. married to them? Exactly. You know? Right. <laughs> Maybe in theory. Uh, so you mentioned that y'all have one child, multiple children. Yeah, we have one child. We have a daughter who's, who's now 10. Okay. So tell me about yeah. that dynamic a little bit, how that's played into some of this. Well, yeah, in many ways, I think that the, the moment we had a child and when we were interviewing couples, we found that this is pretty universal, that the, the moment you bring kids into the equation, all of a sudden, a few things happen. One is all of the pre-existing tensions are amplified. You're just like... <sighs> turning up the drama dial on anything that was there before Two, you know, before kids, it's relatively easy to manage logistics separately and say, Hey, this is Nate's world of logistics. This is Kaylee's world of logistics. And we're going to kind of just like divide these two. And with a kid, all of a sudden there's like this shared project that's enormously time consuming and <laughs> difficult and overwhelming and happens 24 seven at all hours of the day and night. And so, so you combine all of those things together, you now also have way less free time. And, and all of a sudden, I think it really has a huge impact on relationships and particularly on something like sex. You know, yeah. I know that's the, the topic of this podcast. It becomes very difficult under those circumstances to have the space and the time and like the luxury that you had early on in a relationship. And so I think for couples who are again, unconscious or unintentional and are just going to let accidental happenstance determine their, the structure of their life, often some really crazy things can happen. Like, you know, not having sex hardly at all, yeah. all sorts of drama, that 50, 50, sort of scorekeeping thing just gets amplified. Mm -hmm. So, so it can be a real turning point for the worse, or it can be a catalyst for some really amazing positive change. Still going strong over here, y'all. Everyday Dose has helped me transition off of coffee and into more presence, less angst, and more sustainable energy in my life. With a third of the caffeine compared to coffee, this mushroom blend features sun theanine, lion's mane, chaga, and collagen protein. And it actually tastes great. Ready to kick coffee with me, but keep the yummy morning Bev? Go to everydaydose.com, code that sex chick for savings at checkout, even if the items you are purchasing are already discounted. Yeah, baby. Everydaydose.com. We have a resource called the Relationship Board Meeting, um, which is like a, yeah. a process, a PDF that people can download on our website and people love it. Uh, and there's yeah. just, there's so many key parts of it that have a massive impact on relationship. And you spoke to some of it where it's leaving things up to chance or accidental or happenstance. Mm -hmm. And this idea of spontaneity, especially in the context of sex. And I remember when we first started literally scheduling sex, it was this, mm. I had so much resistance at first. It was like, totally. that is not a turn on, you know, it's, it's, that's, if we have to schedule it, something's wrong was a story I had, you know, yeah. it's supposed to be spontaneous and alive in the moment, all these kinds of things. It's like, well, good luck with that, especially as the demands of life continue to increase as they inevitably do, especially with children. Yeah. And we found that even just scheduling it once, let alone maybe a couple or a few times a week, 
we had more sex than that. It was just something that yeah. was like, now that we have this consistency and this commitment, because we know it's super important, one of the most important things in our connection, um, it just continues to happen more and more as it's we're mindful and conscious and intentional around it. I'm curious if like that has happened in your experience or any similar things. Yeah, I so I love this so much um, on so many dimensions. And this is a slight tangent, but I promise it'll come back. So I used to be a jazz musician and there was this whole movement in the 1960s called free jazz where they were like, you know, we're going to have no structure, no harmonic constraints, no rhythmic constraints, and we're just going to be free and we're just going to play and it's going to be awesome. And it ended up being really terrible for the most part, (laughs) right? Like it was just total chaos Uh and it sounded terrible. And, and I think the lesson there that I've always thought about is freedom requires constraint. Freedom requires structure. And it's so paradoxical because as you say, we think like, oh no, we need to just be spontaneous. And if it just like randomly happens, then it's going to be amazing. But as you say, the more these demands pile up, the more we need to have structure. So the other thing I really loved about what you said is this idea of like the relationship board meeting. And we have some similar concepts that we work with. We talk about values of shared success and and priorities and boundaries. And whenever we bring that kind of language into relationships, we have these people who are like, you know, don't use the language of business around relationship. You know, don't call it a board meeting, Jordan. (laughs) Totally. That just, you just like took the the mystery out of love. And, And I just, I think that's a really wrongheaded perspective in the sense that like, to get to the really juicy, mysterious, amazing, ecstatic moments, you actually do have to think about like what's happening from nine to five here on planet earth and, Amen, and the structure brother. of your life. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, I am just like totally in agreement around that, the concept that you've outlined there. Yeah, it's so true. And those ecstatic moments will happen more if there's that intentional um, approach to it all. And a way we kind of talk about it is treating our relationship like it's the most important business of our lives because it yeah. fucking is. And when it's thriving, <laughs> everything else, like actual business, finances, parenting, yes. like all the things just magically, so to speak, but not at all, um, are going so well. So digging into even some more specifics around your sort of methodology approach I'm just curious in this 80-80 marriage, what does that look like? Um, some other elements of note. Yeah, well, the way we think about it is there's two key pieces here. One is mindset, which is the way you think, uh, see the world in relationship. Mm-hmm. And the other is structure, which is the way you navigate all the crazy chaos of modern life. And with respect to mindset, the big idea goes back to that 80-80 concept where we're shifting from this mindset of fairness and scorekeeping to what we call radical generosity and radical generosity. You can think about it as kind of including three different interconnected pieces. One is contribution. So, you know, and and people think here it's got to be some huge thing, but a practical thing you can do is just some ordinary act of contribution for your spouse, getting them coffee. When I write, I love you on a sticky note and put it on my wife's monitor, 
you'd think that I just like cured cancer or something, <laughs> totally. right? And how long did that take me? 10 seconds. Uh, so, so there's contribution. There's appreciation, which is part of that mindset of radical generosity, which is just shifting the way we normally see our spouse. As we know from all the brain science out there, we see the world through this negativity bias. We definitely see our spouse often through that bias where we're looking for what they did wrong, things like that. So appreciation is like shifting that lens and making that a habit. Um, You know, one of the things we do before we go to bed every night is just one appreciation for each other. We make it a habit and and it means that we end the day on that positive note rather Mm -hmm. than like some note of bitterness or resentment. And then the final piece is really around communication and revealing is what we call it, which is, you know, we found that a lot of couples really struggle to reveal those microscopic truths around moments of disagreement or misunderstanding, thinking like, whatever, it's not a big deal. I'm sure it'll, it'll be fine. And those little tiny microscopic moments, they get bigger and bigger and they grow into major conflicts over time. So just that ability to reveal both conflict, but also, hey, this is what's really happening for me. This is what I'm looking forward to. This is what I'm feeling with my work right now or, or caring for the kids, whatever that might be. Oh, that's so good, man. I, yeah, it's some good shit. It reminds me of, <laughs> have you ever read the book Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton by any chance? Uh, I have I have skimmed the book, uh, yeah. but I, but I know the basic concept. I, I love the idea. Yeah. So when you said radical generosity, that came to mind. Then as you, as you described, it was like, oh, there's some um, inspirational, there's some crossover there. Uh, the book is, I highly recommend checking that book out. He's this just yeah. politically incorrect Southern <laughs> psychologist who, stu- if you do it on Audible, he stumbles over his words and he just doesn't give a shit. He <laughs> drops F-bombs and goes off script. It's really funny and refreshing That's in that amazing. way. And it's in the name Radical Honesty, but some things that he talks about is expressing resentments and appreciations. Uh, and it can, it can be a little like his approach is maybe not as soft as what I recommend or personally find yeah. most effective for me, but there's just a beautiful medicine in there. And those you know, micro moments that you're talking about are micro repressed expressions that then become you know, suppressed subconsciously in, in the body and become this neuromuscular armoring of sorts. And then it turns into this macro major thing like you described, when instead, if we can diligent and consistently expressing those both, you know, quote, good and bad, I appreciate you for dot, dot, dot. And yeah. the language he uses is I resent you for, which is that word resent. Ooh, oh, wow. it's, just, ooh, it's a strong <laughs> one. Try saying that to my wife. She ain't going to like it, you know? So I soften that one, have a little bit more grace in the approach, but nonetheless, I think there's just um, some beautiful pieces there that have been incredibly effective in my life. And I just, I love how you lay that out. It's great. Well, and that word radical, I think is, it's the common thread between Mm -hmm. those two ideas. And it's also really important because from the perspective of fairness, it doesn't make sense to contribute something over and above to your spouse because what did they do for you? Maybe they didn't do enough. And so why should you do that? Mindset, it doesn't yeah. make sense to appreciate them because when was the last time they appreciated you? It doesn't make sense to reveal those microscopic truths because they're not revealing them to you, right? You, like you can feel the energy of that. Yes. And, and so it's radical because it's asking us to sort of go against the momentum of that mindset 
which defines so many modern relationships. And, and that's difficult and it's scary and it's uncomfortable. But we like to say that, you know, your better relationship or your better marriage begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Like mm-hmm. it's often discomfort that's keeping us from experiencing the deepest love. I mean, we could certainly talk about how that applies to sex, right? But like being able to say the things that scare you or do the things that scare you or feel like you're doing more than your partner, that's really where it all starts. Okay, TMI. But when is it not TMI over here at that sex chick? (laughs) So I ovulate on the full moon and I have my period on the new moon. Witchy, right? My most recent period brought on some low-level headaches, cramping, and fatigue. And some cycles, it's a bit worse than others. Overall, I feel pretty fortunate that I've never had it all that bad with PMS or period symptoms. But occasionally, I do have it bad enough that my little holistic everything self starts considering the Advil liquid gels. If I can, though, my preference is to stay as natural with my products as I possibly can. This time around, my most recent cycle, I tried a really high-quality CBD-CBN blend to help with my cycle, and I was so pleased with how it supported me. I actually didn't have very high hopes, um, so when I noticed that the cramps and the headache actually started to subside and started to mellow out, I was really surprised and certainly relieved. Something that can also get a little wonky at various times in my cycle is my sleep. The past two months, I've tried a special sleep blend of CBD about 30 minutes before bed to support me in getting better, deeper sleep as well. Cured is swiftly taking over my medicine cabinet. I never thought super high quality CBD or CBN would be so beneficial in my life. Whether I'm taking it to help curb anxiety, to give me a brain boost when it's partnered with adaptogenic mushrooms, whether it's to help me sleep better or even help my dogs chill the fuck out when company is over. I'm truly digging it. And I think you will too. To give Cured Nutrition a try, go to curednutrition.com. The code, that's chick will give you 10% off your order unless you're already scooping up a bundle that includes lots of savings. Once you give her a try, please reach out to me. Let me know how it goes. I love having the space to introduce you to companies and products that I personally use and love. We, Sex and Love Co., have super high standards when it comes to collaborating with other companies and other brands. And as a small business owner myself, I also love having the opportunity to support other small businesses as well. Yes, 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 yes. A couple words I like to use that you kind of touched on in a sense is this idea of being fun, comfortable. Like Mm. there's the discomfort that oftentimes we as humans want to avoid to be safe and to have that certainty and that knowing. What if we were to get instead of being, you know, going into the uncomfortable or the discomfort, which has a bit of that negative connotation or a lot of it. It's like, how about it's fun, yeah. comfortable? It's like, ooh, because we know on the other side of this, it's, it's actually fun. It's rewriting the story around yeah. the feels that come up in that experience because on the other side of it is deeper connection, more self-awareness. Everything's just better. And then the other one is I like to use fun, conditional love. So it's, mm. it's like truly unconditional. I'm, it's not this transactional 
arrangement where it's like, if I do this, then I expect you to do this. Like you were talking about with the 50, 50 mm. contribution. It's like, no, this is just fun, conditional love. That's never ending. My cup runneth over always because yeah. we're approaching our relationship and our individual lives in this way. I love the idea of fun, comfortable. Yeah. And you're right. It totally applies here because doing something that is generous is often uncomfortable. But then also having a conversation about like, if there really is an issue where you are contributing way more and your partner somehow isn't showing up, right. It, it's, it's sometimes difficult to just radical generosity your way out of that one. Yeah. Like sometimes you have to have that conversation. You have to reveal that that's super uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so turning that into something that's fun, I think is like, is brilliant, right? You, you're just reframing the whole experience. Yeah. into something that's actually like cool and like and 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 I really do think it is the case that these moments where we are uncomfortable or we're in conflict they they are the greatest opportunities we have to grow and connect with each other. It's just a question of like do we want to take the opportunity? Yeah. Or do we want to sit there and and not are we courageous enough to go there and be committed to that pursuit, you know, not just like yeah. a one and done which I know for myself sometimes it's like, okay, I did the thing. Oh, I don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> I'm going to wait for <laughs> yeah. days, weeks, months before I build up the, the courage and you know, follow that intensity and that heartbeat instead of running away from it like I've maybe been conditioned to for whatever reason throughout yeah. my life. It's that constant pursuit. Well, and that's where, so you know, my other subject that I, I think about a lot and write about a lot is mindfulness. I think that's where mindfulness comes in and can be very powerful is cultivating your ability to stay in those moments of discomfort. You know, when, when you feel your nervous system activated and you feel the anger in you or the resentment or the embarrassment or the shame or whatever that is, we're sort of wired to instinctively run away and mm -hmm and shut down and check out or lash out, you know, there's all sorts of unskillful ways we have of dealing with that. So the more we can build that skill of just like staying with the discomfort, staying with the shit sandwich, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, just, just, just watching the shit sandwich instead of like, you know, freaking out, which is mm -hmm. what we normally do. Yep. And that's such a, a righteous masculine approach in particular is like, I'm going to stay in this. I'm a pillar. I ain't going nowhere. I'm not going to be hijacked by this intensity. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to flow. I'm going to leverage it for, you know, really yeah. awesome inspired action. And that is what a skill to cultivate. <laughs> so we've touched on the topic of sex a little bit here and there. And I would love to go a little bit deeper into that pun intended. Uh, how has this <laughs> approach and just a little bit of y'all's journey um, as you've become more aware and as you've developed these protocols, um, how has that impacted your sex life? Yeah, well, I think the the broad view that we've taken on sex with respect to relationships mm -hmm. is that there's really like two ways to look at sex. You can look at it in the micro, like let's look at exactly what happens in the bedroom and what uh -huh. are the tactics and what are the tools and how do you do it better? Essentially that kind of thing. That's the micro level. And then there's also the macro level, you know, what is the, the larger context that's surrounding this thing we call sex. And I think both levels of analysis are really helpful and interesting 
But I do feel like as a culture, we've gotten somewhat fixated on the micro level. So I'll just use Cosmo magazine as an example. I think I like to pick on them Uh, (laughs) because when you read Cosmo magazine, you know, they'll have these ridiculous articles like four ways to have sex in a pool on an inflatable raft, you know, and like, and the, the basic premise is like, if your sex life sucks and you're not connecting in the bedroom, then all you need to do is like figure out how to do this crazy position on a raft in your pool, mm-hmm. assuming you have one and like, everything's going to be amazing. Right. And so, so I think that for particularly for modern couples who have kids and they're like super busy and they're working and, and crazy, it's not enough to say, Hey, here are some tips. I mean, those can be helpful, but there's this bigger context. And so for us, the way we think about that bigger context is that there's a way in which that whole structure of how you've arranged your life is almost like the, the mirror image of what's happening with your sex. So in other words, like the resentment you feel toward your partner in the line at Costco doesn't magically disappear the moment you're taking each, other, each other's clothes off it's still there. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the fights you're having about who's taking out the trash, those are connected to some of the problems you might be having, you know, getting closer in the bedroom or improving your intimacy. So I guess that's the, the higher level approach that we take to sex is that you have to see it in context. And so like thinking about the way you're showing up in terms of your mindset in marriage, thinking about how you've structured your life, making all those things more conscious, more intentional. All of that is a really powerful way of improving your sex life. That's certainly been our experience. And in the couples we interviewed, that was something we, we found is that like the better couples were at managing the macro, the better their sex seemed to be. The more of a disaster their life was together, the more of a disaster their sex might be. Although it might, they might have like crazy, you know, conflict sex or, or, you know, sort of like perverted versions of that, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it wasn't like really, you know, the kind of intimate, deep connection that you might want. I love that. Yeah. And like, if we're having the, the crazy conflict sex all the time, and that's the way we heal, <laughs> it's probably not a winning strategy that has, you know, sustainability and longevity written all over it. Uh, I loved how yeah, you I, <laughs> go for it. Certainly not a strategy for me that I would advocate or, or want to experience. And yeah. every once in a while, sure. Okay, great. <laughs> but again, if that's the go-to, ah, we got some shit to dig into there. Uh, I love yeah. how you think about that and how you describe that of the macro versus the micro. And I so agree. The micro technique stuff, awesome. We actually, in our relationship board meeting and in our sex life, we have a bucket of sorts that we call sexploration. And Mm. in that bucket, and we typically do this one to a few times a month where we go into a intimate container that's exploration where we're trying something new, whether it's a toy, it's Mm. a technique, it's we're watching something. We're just doing something that's uncomfortable, that's new. And the expectation Mm. around that is that there are no expectations. There's a lot of grace. There's a lot of play. Mm. We understand there's vulnerability there. And so that certainly has a place. But again, to your point of the macro, it's... And, you know, something that comes up for me is I find that if we have gone several days, let alone a week plus, it's so interesting seeing the correlation like you described of what's happening in our just general day-to-day interactions in our relationship and the business of our lives together as partners. And 
not having sex. If we are mm. not having sex and the longer we go, the harder it is to come back to having sex, the more like awkward mm-hmm. and the more resistance there is. And just, it's like, I'm sticking yeah. to my gun. It's like, you did this, you know, whatever it was like the line of the grocery store example you gave. Yeah. And I'm still fucking holding on to that in a bunch of other things. And as the days go by and it gets longer and longer, that just builds up until it's now become this insurmountable thing, you know, relatively speaking. And then there is oftentimes some little, not a blow up explosion of sorts, but there's just, there's something that has to be overcome that feels way bigger than it needs to be. And then on the other side, we're reminded of, oh, shit, we need to make sure that we come back to making this a priority because there's, there's something Mm -hmm. that's done in that container of primal and heart connected intimacy that helps solve a lot of the the stupid shit the the, the kind of insignificant mm-hmm. stuff the the micro grumbles as our relationship coach calls them and mm-hmm. you know i find too that if i'm overly caught up in those mini resentments and being a bit petty with it i'm probably not having enough sex <laughs> mm. yeah well, that's one of the things that I find so inspiring about you and Alexa is your ability to communicate around sex and fun inspiration is another just great mm. concept I'm going to steal from this uh-huh. interview. <laughs> but but that whole idea of communicating in in sex, I think is really hard for a lot of couples. Absolutely. And and what's interesting is that you know, a lot of couples are also not communicating about who bought more clothes at Nordstrom or whatever it is, like all the non-sexual things. And, and so that's another way, like if you look at communication, I think it's another example of how your life can improve your sex in the sense that if you get more skillful at communicating about everything, mm. your money, your logistics, who's doing which chores, like your sex can get better. But also if you can get better at communicating in sex and break down some of those barriers and be fun, comfortable, as you put it, like you can get better at life so that yeah. the two can really work together, I think. Mm. But, but I, the, you do have to be willing to enter into that discomfort and, mm. and really work at that craft of communication. Yep. The reflection in the mirror. It is so true. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. you know, the next maybe 10 minutes or so that we have left, is there anything else you know, significant that you want to dig into around some of this work that you do? Well, one thing that I do think is important is just going back to this idea of 50, 50 mm-hmm. and fairness. And I, I, there's one piece of it that I want to flesh out that I think is really important. It's actually in some ways, the reason we wrote the book, it goes back to a conversation I had with a gentleman who's no longer alive, but he was the head of social neuroscience at the university of Chicago. His name is John Cassiopo. And about five or six years ago, he was telling me about this research that's around cognitive biases we have. And what he told me, which I think forever changed my view of relationships, is that they, and they do these studies, and I've now investigated a lot of these different studies, but basically they look at relationships and they ask people, you know, how, what percentage of the work around the house are you doing? What percentage is your partner doing? I see where this they is They ask both, <laughs> both partners that question, right? And what they have found, not surprisingly, is that our assessments of how much we're doing and how much our partner is doing are just fundamentally diluted, like totally <laughs> flawed. Uh-huh. And, and the psychologists call this availability bias, which is a fancy way of saying like, I 
have the full data set of all the stuff I do that's available to me. But when it comes to my wife, I only see pieces of it. Like I see her walking in from the store with the groceries, but I don't see her at Safeway uh-huh. walking through every aisle. Right. And as a result, we, we systematically underestimate everything that our partner does. And then there's another bias, which is an overestimation bias, which leads us to overestimate the amount of time we spend on things like childcare and housework. And so if you think about those two together, availability bias and overestimation, it means that we have this inflated view of what we're doing. We have this sort of diminished, underestimated view of what our partner is doing. And now we're going to have all these fights about who's doing more and what's fair with that data set on both sides. And the moment I heard that, I was like, oh, I see why this is fundamentally flawed and why nobody has ever managed to succeed at a 50-50 marriage. The, the whole setup, like our minds are interfering with our ability to do this. So I just think that's important yeah. as a kind of like why 50-50 isn't likely to work well for you and your partner, why it, it almost destroyed our marriage, why it might not work well for you. I love how you frame that because it's like if we're looking at this from a, a psychological perspective and we don't have the mindset and the awareness around those biases you described, then we're fucking doomed. <laughs> we we're no totally chance. doomed. I mean, I mean, that's the big, the big insight out of all that is like, we are screwed. Like this is an endless argument that will go on as long as we are alive. Mm. So (laughs) to sort of close this loop in a really like practical, tactical way for somebody who's listening to this in a relationship or is wants to go into their next relationship with just the utmost intention, what does that look like? Is there like a weekly process, a monthly, uh, is there, you know, we start here and then we end here. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, I think that there are are some new habits you could consider building into your day and your life together. So one of those we talked about is these little micro actions of contribution can be really profound. Another habit that we touched on earlier is appreciation. You know, even just doing that like at dinner or whenever it is, it just, it's, it's transformative to the relationship. Um, So there are some smaller sort of mindset shifting habits like that that are powerful. But then there are also structural conversations that you can have with your partner that maybe you only have once, but can have a huge impact and can take you from that place of unconsciousness to being more conscious. Mm -hmm. So where I would do those would be around things like roles. You know, I talked about how big a deal that was for us. Um, Priorities. You know, a lot of couples... They just say yes to everything that's coming in. And they're not thinking about like, hey, what do we stand for? What do we value as a couple? And how can we arrange our life so that our time and energy is going there? And not to just like the random shit that's coming out of our phones, yeah. right? Which is the way we, we mostly do it. And, and, and then really thinking about boundaries. Like how do we set boundaries with other friends, with our family, Stan Tacken calls these people thirds and thirds can completely wreak havoc on your system together. And then also power and sex. Like we talked about it earlier, but bringing structure to sex may not sound sexy, but it may be the greatest thing you ever do for your sex life. Because the fact is like most of us have very little time and we're doing things constantly. And if we don't build that space in for, for intimate connection, it's not going to happen. 
Yeah, well said, man. It, a couple things are come to mind as you were talking. One is this idea of important versus urgent. And those, yeah. those third people, third entities, there's, and the reactivity of like, oh, tons of stuff is coming at me. That's kind of an urgent energy. It's like, I, I have to react urgently to this thing that is asking for my attention, for my yes, my energy. And so often, and this is just such a lifelong practice for me, because I'm very much mm. I'm a manifesting generator. I'm an Aries. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I have a lot of energy. I love to do a lot of things. I have an excitement and zeal for life have like mm. a lot of connections and great friends. And I love to play. I play basketball a few times a week and I, I love to be outside. So there's a lot of opportunity and it's, it's beautiful. I love that about myself. It's unique to me in a lot of ways. Mm. And at the same time, and especially in my relationship with Alexa, we find that the important things, i.e. her and our relationship and prioritizing that mm. can be indefinitely left by the wayside because they're not urgent, right? It's you know, going, yeah. setting up a weekend for us to go camping together in the midst of all the other commitments that we have, that we've made, that we've allowed to take over. It's like, ah, we'll do that at some point, way down the line. And this really reached ahead for us uh, at the beginning of last year. Just a shitstorm of things were coming our way. Like life was kicking my fucking ass, man. And mm. it was really challenging and taxing on our relationship. And so we got outside of the city, went to this little town called Fredericksburg and a little cabin out mm. in the woods and literally had this calendar. And we just went through the entire year and we planned what we call JNA love trips, Jordan and Alexa love trips. And so every mm. quarter we're like, we have to get away. We get to get away for a weekend. Um, and it doesn't have to be super crazy produced sometimes maybe, but we are committed. We know that this is absolutely vital, crucial to our connection, to our relationship. And for a few hours, we just went through like the whole year. We taught, we did a lot of the stuff that you were talking about in our own kind mm. of way within flow. The structure you described is so good. Uh, and it's, it, it's that gift that keeps on giving it really in a lot of ways, it was that preparation for us to get married. We were you know, engaged at that point, but it was like, yeah. okay, we're engaged. We love each other. Yeah. We're all in. We believe that we know it. What does that actually look like to be like all in on the importance and and the entity of our relationship being the most important thing in our lives? And yeah. that's what it looked like. Well, I love that distinction between urgent and important. Mm. And in some ways, I mean, that gets to one of the, the central paradoxes that we discovered in talking to couples was that for so many couples, the end of their day looks like they're sitting on either end of the couch. <laughs> one of them's got a phone. One of them's got a tablet. One of them is on Instagram. One of them's doom scrolling. And th the question that kept coming up for me is like, why are these people who love each other on their device and not engaging in the most ecstatic, pleasurable, amazing thing that human beings can do, which is having sex? <laughs> like, what, how do you explain that? And I think part of the way you explain that is through urgency versus importance mm -hmm. that like the phone is just there and the social media feed is there and it feels urgent and the text messages and the emails and all these things that are coming at us, but it's, it's often not the most important thing. And we get distracted from this like amazing way to connect together. Yeah. So agree, man. And, and one little thing that I, I bookmarked that I wanted to quickly share, and there's just kind of like a random side thing. 
you know, around the appreciations and having some some go-to practices to to cultivate what we're talking about here. Something that Alexa and I do is for, you know, no matter what happens in the day, almost every night we have dinner together. You know, we we connect over dinner. And a way that we really connect at a you know deeper, higher level is we share gratitude. And so we hold each other's hands and it's our way of praying. You know, it's the way we've kind of reclaimed mm-hmm. prayer and connection to that process and to each other is saying, I am grateful for this. I appreciate you for this. So we'll, we'll use that language as well. And no matter what has happened, maybe we have been building resentments toward each other or just life throughout the day. And it's just, you know, there's the requirements of life can be a lot, especially at the end of a day, sometimes they've piled up, but going there, everything shifts and suddenly we are dropped in together and there's so much more available in our connection, our intimacy by just doing a simple little life hack of sorts like that um, while going into a meal. So I wanted to share that because I think that's one that people can mm. totally quickly, easily go to and would have you know significant impact. I love that habit. Yeah, we have a similar habit at meals and it really is transformative. And as you say, it's placed at a moment when you really need it, when you're yeah. transitioning from just the sheer chaos of work and everything that's coming at you to like, and now we're going to connect together. I think we need a transition often, you know, even for us, uh, we have found that it is very difficult to go from work directly into like a date night. Yeah. We often need to walk for like 30 to 60 minutes to just ground the sheer craziness that's going on in our minds Mm -hmm. so that we can connect and be together. So those transitional moments, I think, are, are prime places for that kind of a habit or a ritual. Yeah, transitions are everything. We do a very similar thing, walking with the dogs in between stuff at the end of the day just mm. makes such a difference. Um, man, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. Uh, it's been awesome connecting with you. Is there any last little things before we kind of get into the details of where people can find you and all that kind of stuff? I don't think so. I mean, I would just say I appreciate the work that you and Alexa are doing to have this conversation about sex, which as we talked about, a lot of people don't want to have it. Yeah. And yet we we need to have it if we want to go deeper in our relationship. So, you know, just really appreciate the work that you're both doing on that. Thank you, man. And a quote comes to mind, Mr. Joseph Campbell, the kind of architect of the hero's journey, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Nice. Yeah, let that one sink in. Okay, cool, man. So where can people find you and your book and your work? Yeah, the book is The 8080 Marriage, and we have a website, 8080marriage.com. We're also on Instagram, 8080marriage. And we do uh, some, like, we do a newsletter every week that has a bunch of tips and stuff like that. So if people are interested, that's one way to sort of connect with us and get into the stream of information that we're creating um, and I would just say, you know, if, if you are interested in some of these things, like thinking about roles and power and, you know, priorities and boundaries, things like that, we structured the book in such a way that we have exercises built in that couples oh, cool. can do kind of walks you through it. So, um, that would be a reason to check it out if you're interested in that. Nice. A live workbook of sorts. Very cool. That's right. Awesome. Exactly. Well, Nate, thanks again, man. Thank y'all listeners for uh, tuning in for this guy on guy action as we dig into some juicy stuff here. This has been just such an enjoyable conversation and we'll catch y'all next time. 
Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.